I am super grateful for this opportunity to be with everybody today. And uh, Mike actually forgot at one time I forgot the human needed supplies. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Get your elbows off the table. Quit playing with your food. No, you can't leave unless you ask permission. Parents, you you know these words, right? You probably said something like this to your own kids last night. I know that this is these are familiar words to me. Growing up, my uh, my dad, my mom on both sides, they tried to instill in my brother and I good table manners. You know, you don't do this because you want to pester your kids with formality. You know, it teaches them responsibility and, and respect. And we know that the dinner table can be a unifying time for families. That old saying, a family that eats together stays together. You've probably noticed by now, Renovation Church, we celebrate the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. If we're not careful, this becomes a religious ritual in which we come with a, a just-do-it mentality. All right, it's time to come. Let's go. The question is this. Does it matter how we partake of communion? If worship is indeed a matter of our hearts together before God, how does that relate to our practice at the Lord's table? Do manners matter at the Lord's table? With this question, we come to our text here in 1 Corinthians 17 through 34, 11, 17 through 34. If you would please open your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. This is the Word of God. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for better, but for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Will I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. This is the word of the Lord. The early church was united, right? Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people repent of sin and turn to Christ in faith. And what do we see? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers, and to the breaking of bread and the fellowship, and that they had all things in common. But what we see from this passage is that the Corinthian church was divided. Look at verses 17 through 20 with me. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. You see, there were divisions in that church, and they're most clearly seen in Paul's words concerning the common meals that the Corinthian believers were eating together. And these meals were so divisive that Paul said, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Leon Morris said that there was a sharp contrast between the hungry poor, lacking even necessary food, and the drunken rich. There was no real sharing, no genuinely common meal. Now, we could say a lot about how these meals were conducted. But what's clear is that the divisions caused by these meals between the drunken rich and the hungry poor were so significant that it led Paul to eliminate the idea that their practice of the Lord's Supper was even genuine. We need to be aware of the things that could divide us. Age, marital status, paycheck amount, the positions we have at work, the cars we drive, 
the houses we live in. These are all things that can divide us in our suburban lives. We come home, close the garage door, we don't think squat about the people around us. The reality is, the gospel levels the field with regard to our status. Christ did not die so that I might be recognized. Christ didn't die so that we might separate ourselves with our favorite people. We must not go about thinking highly of ourselves and less of others. Simply put, we allow these things to come between us. We do not understand what Christ has done and what the supper represents. And we are found to despise the church of God. This sin not only causes our participation of the supper to be disingenuous, rendering our worship as nothing, but it also communicates that we do not understand what Christ has done for his church. Brothers and sisters, this can't be. If we are to come to the table rightly, we must come recognizing who we are in Christ and in light of the gospel. We worship the Lord at the Lord's table by celebrating a unity that the gospel alone creates. And you know, people today in society, society tells us that unity is a good thing. It, and it, we all gather around different things that promote unity, right? Religious pluralism. Oh, we'll just get together. We'll just sing Kumbaya. It'll be good. We'll all feel really good about ourselves. Or maybe it's political activism, little bipartisan politics. We could just get together and get this budget figured out, right? So we keep this, this government going. Or maybe it's, it's tolerance. We're all, we're all united in loving everyone. Except for the people who dissent. Except for the people who disagree with us. It's a superficial tolerance. The bottom line is, culture elevates the individual while it makes false promises of unity. At the Lord's table, we come as a community that elevates Jesus and celebrates the unity the gospel alone creates. At the Lord's table, we worship united. As we see, when we come, when we worship at the Lord's table, manners matter. And the manner in which we come is united. But not just united. We also come by obeying. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. These are the same words of institution that we read in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Christ instituted the supper to his disciples. Remember what I was saying, parents, about manners? Who, who directs those? Who commands those manners? Is it your kids? No, you do. It's your table, it's your house, it's your rules, right? Or a CEO of a company, Paul Daly, right? Who, who steers that ship? The CEO does. It's his company. As Christ's church, we sit under Christ's authority. He exercises authority over us. And under his authority, we live and worship according to what he's commanded. We come to the table because Christ has commanded us to come. We also come commanded to remember Christ's sacrifice. We have a, we have a need to remember things in life. We, we forget birthdays. We lose our keys. Forget anniversaries. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we forget the gospel. When I'm wronged or angry with someone, I forget the gospel. When I've screwed up at work, I forget the gospel. When I'm enjoying the pleasures of this world, I forget the gospel. When I'm depressed, I forget the gospel. When do you forget the gospel? When we partake, we forget that we forgot. We remember. The supper was instituted on the heel of Christ's betrayal, trial, beatings, crucifixion, and death. In these words, we are called to remember the circumstances that surrounded the sacrifice that Christ was making for the sins of his people. Renovation Church, as you participate of the Lord's Supper, remember Christ. Remember the sinless Son of God, beaten, bruised, and torn for your sins. Remember Christ's body broken for you. The church is commanded to come. Worship in your remembrance of the breaking of Christ's body at the Lord's Supper. Christ also commands us to come to the Lord's Supper understanding that it is a a covenant meal. Look at verse 25 with me. 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, in a covenant, God makes promises and God fulfills promises. God made a, we see it all throughout the Old Testament, right? God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made promises to the nation of Israel. He made a promise to David. And what we see is that God is faithful to fulfill those promises. In the occasion of uh, the Passover meals, there was a remembrance of God's covenant faithfulness to Israel when they sacrificed the lamb, right? And they spread its blood over the doorpost of their home. And that when the Lord would come through the city, he would pass over their homes because of the blood of the lamb. The sacrifice that Israel made, that sacrifice, assured them that God would spare them from his wrath against the Egyptians. God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Passover caused the Israelites to remember God's faithfulness to keep those promises. In Christ, God ultimately fulfilled all of his promises. You know, Christ, in his path, we see he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Yet, he applied the meaning of the Passover to himself. The cup of the new covenant illustrates the covenant that Christ established by the shedding of his blood. In the Lord's Supper, we remember God's faithfulness to keep his promise. On the cross, Christ, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God, bore the wrath of God in our place and is our Passover. Do you realize that you deserve the wrath of God? That our sin deserves punishment? Christ drank from the bitter wrath, bitter cup of the wrath of God, that we may drink of his sweet cup of grace. Church, when you come to the table, remember that Christ bore the wrath of God for you. There's no more wrath for you. Christ took it all so that we may live in reconciled fellowship with a holy and righteous God. Come, drink the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood. As we see, when we worship at the Lord's table, manners matter. And the manner in which we come is united and by obeying. But not only these, we also come by proclaiming. Look at verse 26 with me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, I've said a lot about how the Lord's Supper celebrates what Christ has done in the past. 
However, it doesn't only look to the past. It looks to the future. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation of what Christ will do in his second coming. You know, we tend to think about the Lord's Supper as merely a remembrance of Christ's work in the past. But with these words, we cannot think that it is merely that. But there are many things that we do to proclaim Christ's second coming. Okay? We, we listen to sermons that proclaim it. We sing songs that declare it. We pray and hope for it. We are a people waiting in anticipation for Christ to come again, bring his people to glory, and restore all things in a new heaven and a new earth. Have you considered the Lord's Supper as a part of that proclamation? When you come to the table, proclaim. Come united in proclaiming that Christ's work on the cross was not his final work. Christ will come again. Are you, are you weary of this life which is marked by sin and death? Do you long for your final rest in Christ? Come to the table in faithful hope knowing that Christ will come again. As we see, when we worship at the Lord's table, manners matter. And the manner in which we come is united, obeying, and proclaiming. But not only these, we also come examining our hearts. Take a look at verse 28 with me. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, to this point, I'd like you to think about something else that we do in our service. Our, our call to worship, right? We come. It's usually a reading from the Psalms. And what it does is it points to the glorious God that we are preparing to worship. It may even reveal to us the sins of our heart. And we're coming to him in, in, for forgiveness. We're coming to worship our God. That's what the call to worship does. It prepares our hearts. In a similar way, we come examining our hearts to the Lord's Supper. The assembling of the people of God to worship the Lord is a serious thing. When we properly understand the nature of the Lord's Supper, our hearts ought to be ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. Examination of our hearts has to take place when we are preparing to come. You see, there's a gravity in this sacred meal. Right? This isn't a common meal. This is a sacred meal. In fact, the state of our hearts matters so greatly 
as we come to the Lord's Supper, that Paul said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Unworthy participation was even connected to the death of some in the Corinthian church, as you see in verse 30. There is judgment for the one who profanes the Lord's Supper with disregard and flippancy. However, this does not have to be the case. Look at verses 31 and 32. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. See, when we do our due diligence in examining our hearts before participation, we come rightly. Please take note. These warnings are not issued so as to scare you or cause you not to partake. The reality is, is we've all sinned this week. Our sin should not prevent us from coming, but it should drive us to the table. These warnings and calls for self-examination should cause us to repent and seek the Lord for forgiveness. Seek the Lord. And his grace as you come. Repent of sin. And partake. Of this sacred. Meal. We also read that there is need for. Discerning the body. Right. In verse 29. Look at that with me. Paul said for anyone who eats and drinks. Without discerning. The body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The words discerning the body have been interpreted a couple of different ways. Is it the body that we discern the elements of the table? That which represents Christ's body and his blood? Or, or is it the church discerning the body of Christ? Wherever you may land, I think that there is application either way. We focus on what we are doing and who we are doing it with. Why do you come to the table? You must recognize that you come to worship the Lord. What do these symbols, what do these elements symbolize? Christ's broken body, the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood. We need to understand these things. We need to understand what they mean when we partake. On the other hand, who do we come with? Right? Like we heard early, there's need for unity 
in the body as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Paul closes this section by saying, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come, it will not be for judgment. We must not come with disregard or a lack of concern for those that we eat with. Look around. Look at your brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the body of Christ. When you come, come and worship the Lord as a united body with regard for each other, knowing that we are Christ's people. You see, manners matter. And all of these things, coming united, obedient, remembering, proclaiming, examining. When we approach the Lord's table in this manner, we are strengthened with the Lord's presence and grace. We worship at the Lord's table by receiving. The writers of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith in their chapter on the Lord's Supper wrote that worthy participants Worthy recipients who outwardly partake of the visible elements in this ordinance also by faith inwardly receive and feed on Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. They do so really and truly, yet not physically and bodily, but spiritually. Look up, look back up to, to verse 23 and 24 with me. You know, Christ said, this is my body. And this is, this is what's meant when Christ says, this is my body. And Christ is with us as in our celebration at the table. He is spiritually present in the Lord's Supper, which is a spiritual meal. Christ is not absent when we receive the elements. He's spiritually present with us as we partake. You know, sometimes we, like, it's normal to think we're coming and we're doing something for Christ, but when we come, Christ does something to us. But what is, what is meant by Christ's use? Of bread is the symbol of his body. You know what bread does? The English Puritan Thomas Watson said that bread is useful, satisfying, and strengthening. The bread, which is Christ's body, is these things for us. 
the bread so wonderfully illustrates that. It didn't use bread just because. It means something. <laughs> the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. This is where the rubber hits the road for me. That God has ordained means by which he gives grace that strengthens his people. The preached word. The Lord's Supper. Prayer. God changes us through these things. And when you participate at the table, Christ comforts, satisfies, and strengthens your souls. It's at this time I would like to invite the band up, and we are going to move right into our coming to the Lord's table. I'm going to read our passage again, specifically Christ's words of institution. Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night, that Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is it my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, as you come, think about the things that you just heard. Come united as Christ's body. Come obedient. For Christ has commanded us to come. Come remembering Christ's body broken for you. Christ's blood spilt for you. Come proclaiming. Christ will come again. Come examining your hearts. We've all sinned this week. Let us repent of our sin and let us turn to Christ in faith. And come receiving, participating in the body and blood of the Lord. Be strengthened as you partake. And remember throughout the week as you go, you are partaking. Be strengthened then 
and be strengthened as you prepare to come again. If you are a Christian with us, this meal is for you. If you are not, we would ask that you would abstain, that we may be obedient to God's word concerning this covenant meal. When you are ready, please come participate at the Lord's table.